Hello and welcome to another edition of the UK Law Week podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions and MM. The citation for this case is 2019 UKSC 34. And the case that we are looking at this week concerns the welfare benefit known as Personal Independence Payment, or PIP for short. The aim of this benefit is to help adults with long-term conditions or disabilities meet some of the extra costs that might be associated with that status. One of the interesting things about the payment is that it is not actually premised on the condition or disability itself, but rather how that condition or disability affects the everyday activities of an individual. To give an example, one of the activities under the Social Security Personal Independence Payments Regulation 2013 is washing and bathing. There is then a scale whereby zero points means that the person can wash and bathe unassisted, and a complete inability to wash and bathe oneself scores a total of 8 points. You can probably see where this is going. The more points you score, the greater your eligibility. At the heart of this case is one of the other activities, and a couple of the middle gradations on the respective scale. Activity 9 is engaging with other people face to face. And while Descriptor 9b states that a person, quote, needs prompting to be able to engage with other people, end quote, for two points, 9c, the next level up, is worth four points and requires that the person, quote, needs social support to be able to engage with other people, end quote. The respondent MM argued that he ought to score four points under 9c, but his overall PIP claim was eventually rejected on the basis that he only met Descriptor 9b. For the Secretary of State, the social support that is needed under 9c has to come from a person who is trained or experienced in assisting people engaging in social situations, rather than someone who the PIP claimant is simply familiar or comfortable with, such as a friend or family member. Another issue of dispute was to do with the timing of such support. Again, the Secretary of State argued for a much stricter interpretation, whereby the social support had to be physically present at the time of the face-to-face engagement. In a rather convoluted fashion, the case made its way through the appeal courts and ended up before the Supreme Court, which is where we pick it up. The justices began by deciding who can actually comprise the social support under Activity 9, and one thing that became very clear from the beginning of the judgment was that they were keen to avoid being overly prescriptive. If you think about it, that makes a lot of sense. When the Supreme Court decides this case, it is making an assessment of not only MM's situation, but for everyone who is making a claim under Activity 9. Those who struggle with face-to-face engagement are not some homogenous group who can be lumped together, but instead people's day-to-day experience with this difficulty is going to be unique for each individual. Furthermore, that approach is consistent with the actual legislation itself, which aims to make things much simpler for claimants. Coming back to the question of who is able to provide social support under 9C, Lady Black in her lead judgement sided with the Secretary of State and held that the support must come from someone who is trained or experienced in assisting people to engage in social situations, rather than someone who merely has a familiarity with the claimant. Of course, those two things could overlap, so for example, a family member might also be trained to assist in social situations, but the main point is that the helper must be trained or experienced. For an assessor or first-tier tribunal, 
This might require asking some probing questions of both the claimant and any assistant to see whether 9b or c should apply. The second question for the Supreme Court to decide was whether said assistant had to be physically present at the time of the face-to-face engagement. Once again, the premises of being aware of claimant diversity and keeping things as straightforward as possible remained, but this time they led the court to disagree with the Secretary of State. The reason for this is that social support can come about in a number of different ways that include, but are not limited to, preparation for the face-to-face engagement, offering verbal and non-verbal cues, directing the conversation in a preferable way, and even ending a social activity where it is appropriate to do so. It is not difficult to imagine a situation where requiring an assistant to be physically present would actually be more of a hindrance. After all, the aim is not for the social support to be a complete crutch, but also to encourage the claimant to have more confidence so that they can hopefully one day carry on face-to-face engagements on their own, or with only minimal support. Clearly, the requirements suggested by the Secretary of State would stand in the way of this, and so it was held that the social support does not necessarily have to be physically present at the time of the engagement. Now that the Supreme Court has answered these two questions and provided an interpretation of the law in this area, MM's case will go back to the first tier tribunal where a decision can be made regarding his claim. A problem with these interpretation cases though from our point of view is that it is quite difficult to work out who has won or indeed if anyone has won at all. On the surface it is clear that the Secretary of State won on the first point but lost on the second. However overall I think this does have to be considered a setback for the government. It is easy to see why a narrow interpretation would benefit them as it would make it much harder for claimants to establish eligibility for PIP, but the whole approach of the court was geared towards openness right from the start, and that is what ultimately operated against the Secretary of State. In fact, even on that first issue, it is a fairly broad-based approach taken by Lady Black. Remember, the idea behind the legislation is that PIP helps to pay for extra support that a person might need in their daily life. So with that in mind, it is understandable that the court would require that support to demonstrate at least some level of expertise. Nevertheless, while it is noted that the person needs to have some training or experience in social support, the level of that training or experience is not defined, and the door is most certainly left open for friends and family members to fulfil that role. Meanwhile, the second part of the judgement allows us to reflect on the intervention in this case by the charity MIND, They submitted evidence that showed how unique each case is, and beyond that, how important it is for the department to take this into account when making its assessment. This was clearly incorporated into the judgement, especially on this second point where we considered the variety of ways in which a person might get support for face-to-face engagements. From that point on, it was just common sense for the court to conclude that flexibility is an essential ingredient in the eligibility criteria as a whole. In the end, I think that the Supreme Court reached the right decision in the circumstances. It would have been irresponsible to throw the doors wide open, as that would severely diminish the effectiveness of the 2013 regulations that seek to apply gradations to claimants' eligibility. After all, if everyone were lumped in together, there would be no value in a points-based system whatsoever. However, this rather generic legislation has to be able to apply to people from all walks of life who struggle with a variety of conditions and disabilities. 
that the courts have managed to do this is a significant victory and helps to protect the financial security of some of the most vulnerable members of society. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Remember to check out my website at uklawweekly.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter. Been a little bit quiet with the newsletter of late, but with Parliament returning soon, I think that we're going to be sort of hopefully sending out more emails and trying to keep you up to date with all of the latest developments uh, in politics, with Brexit, and the legal side of that. So do make sure you go there and sign up and also claim your free ebook. I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!